We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugarm. I'm here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You know, I don't need to plug the Tweet Machine anymore. It's all about plugging the YouTube channel. So if you're listening right now on audio, go over to YouTube. Seahawks Man to Man is our YouTube channel. Just hit subscribe. Come right back to Spotify or wherever you're at. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and at CKID206. As you guys can see, if you're watching, uh, I am in a poorly lit uh, hotel room in Los Angeles, California, uh, because I was at Seahawks Rams uh, here in, uh, that was in Inglewood, whatever, LA. You guys know what I mean. Uh, the Seahawks lost 20 to 10, and effectively the season Chris is over you know pretty much this was this was uh they're five and nine now I don't know the percentage of them making the playoffs what is it less than one percent is it zero zero is it zero, <laughs> is it zero it no I don't know I don't think I, they're I would mathematically imagine. eliminated right now though <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to say zero but it's less it's it's damn near zero and it here's it, yeah I'll say this this is how I'll uh, quantify it. I guess this is quantifying it. But after some of these losses, like the Washington game and even the Packers game, even the Cardinals game, they're like, you know what? We still got a chance. You know, I still believe. We still believe. Everyone in the building believes. You know what? I never believed. But they believed. And I had to kind of go along with that. And we had to kind of go along with that on the show, even though when we had Ben Baller on after the Saints game, we were questioning whether you – can have faith in Pete and John and Russ as a, as a unit together. This game, after losing to the Rams, you can tell reality set. This was a reality check. You could tell they weren't like, oh, guys, we still got a chance. It was like, no, we're done. We're done. Like I asked Pete Carroll, what are you guys playing for at this point? He didn't say anything about the Super Bowl. He didn't say anything about the playoffs. He didn't say anything about winning in general. He said, <laughs> we're playing for each other playing for the guy next to you, you know, we're playing for the relationships that we cultivated, you know, during the, this, this season, which is great. That's fine. I, I, I applaud that. 
but I think for even Pete, the most optimistic guy you could ever find to be like, we not even like we want to win, but we know that don't mean a damn thing. That's reality. Reality set in. Carlos Dunlap, Quandre Diggs, even Russ. Russ was like, you know, we just got to come to work, you know, do things the right way, you know, play for our families, our careers. He also didn't mention the postseason. Like they, they're not even talking playoffs. You know, they're, they've even in their minds realized this is over. This is done. Um, math and Mac, they may not be, they can finish what eight and nine, I think. And there's like the slimmest of hopes that they can, they need like a bazillion things to happen for them to get, but no, it's over. And I think that's what this did. And it felt like after they lost to who was that? The, the Cardinals. It felt like after that, it was like the next time you lose, this is done. They were able to beat the Niners, they were able to beat the Texans. And now it's just like the same team that gives you problems every year. For whatever reason, Sean McVay just has Pete's number. He has his number again. Uh, they've scored, what, 17 points in two games two against games. him this year with with Russ. I'm, I'm uh, excluding the Geno uh, uh, drives in that first game just because I don't really think it's indicative of how Pete, how a Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll team plays a Sean McVay team. He scores 17 points. Your offense looks like crap. You know, I think that even this game being close, it close doesn't cut it no more. It's ain't horseshoes, right? This is not name another sport where being close kind of matters. I don't know darts. I don't know. It ain't it ain't that. You gotta win the games. You have to win the games. And I think this was the one that did it. And I'm not that I'm happy about it or anything, you know, that especially we're not getting locker room access and stuff. We gotta we're going back to Zooms. But I do think that this needed to happen for them to progress at this kind of false reality of we can get in at nine and eight and then we can just run the table. It's like, come on, come on, man. That's, you fooling. Yeah, right. Come on. We know. I get why they thought that, but it's like, now we don't have to play along with that. Everyone's kind of on the same page. We're on the same page of Pete. He knows it's over. The players kind of know, Hey, I'm playing for my contract and my family his paycheck. I'm playing for the guys in my position group, my position coach, whoever the hell, God, I don't really care who they're playing for, but they just realized they're we're all on the same page now. And I, I do think that's a healthier way to proceed. Cause as you know, Chris, and all the questions we have in today's batch of, of Twitter submitted questions, they're all about the future, you know, and it's hard to assess the future when the team is still in the present. And I think today was the unofficial shift, maybe the official shift to be like, Hey, we're all now thinking about the future. Because the present doesn't mean anything. The Bears, the Lions, who else do they play? Um, who's the Bears, last team? Lions, Cardinals. Yeah, none of those games matter. No, I mean, you don't want to lose or get embarrassed or anything like that, but in the big picture. Now I think everyone's thinking big picture now. It's not the short-term narrow focus, and that's probably for the best uh, because there's so much wrong with this team that focusing on the present doesn't do anybody any good. The future has to have big changes in it. And while this particular game may not have showcased that, why we got to this point of five and nine has showcased that big changes need to be made. And I think now everyone in the building can kind of start shifting their focus to that. I wonder if the idea of how everything has gone, was that an issue earlier? For me, I've always thought it's kind of a wrap. Like I've never really believed they can make a push I just was like, eh, it depends. I take it week by week, and I didn't see enough to think that 
this team could actually do something, which is why I said they finished nine and eight, which is not going to happen anymore. Sam Gold was on with us about a month ago, and he mentioned they're going to finish six and ten. I was like, "What? Like that going to be that bad?" They should beat the Bears, but you never know what happens. They should beat the Bears and the Lions, and honestly, I don't think the Cardinals are that good either, for what it's worth. And they're they're not going to get blown out in some of these games. Like guys are still playing hard, but yeah, it's it's a you know, um, did you see that thing that um, that that Jake Heaps and and Stacy Ross were talking about on Seven Ten? Um, yes. I know you work for the other station, but I think what they said was very, it was a very interesting debate. And we're not going to ha- rehash the whole thing, but, um, and I quote tweeted this, um, I think on Sunday or Monday, uh, it was Monday. And basically they were on two sides of the coin. Stacy was like, I want them to win as many games as possible. Right. That's just, you know, she wants that, you know, winning is good. And while Jake was more like, uh, winning will be fool's gold. It'll convince them that things are actually better than they are. They're actually better off losing some games. That way they can have this reality check that we're talking about. And while I, I think I lean towards more towards Stacy on that, um, I understand. think, it, yeah, I do understand that sentiment because if they won this game, bro, then it's just like, right, we got to do this for another week. Then they beat the Bears. <laughs> they beat the Lions. It's like, oh, damn, they eight and eight going into week 18. They got a shot. Um, and while I think making the playoffs is like good for like, I'm happy, be happy for the individual guys that we rock with on the team, guys who's had on the show, you know, Tyler, DJ Reed, um, Quandre Diggs, you know, still need to get Bobby on. But just as a whole, I do, I do see where Jake was coming from in the idea that, um, winning was gonna mask a lot of issues that they ultimately need to correct. Yes, and that was back to last week's pod about quieting the noise. Ultimately, no matter how the season ends, if it doesn't end in a Super Bowl championship, which that dream was crushed when Russ went down, to be completely honest with you, there would that dream be... might have been crushed when they only made three picks uh, in well, the 2021 draft. Man. That's no, a really, that's a, no that's a really good point. <laughs> you, you you made a made a lot of made a, made some tough decisions to get to where you are now. But with that being said, it just prolongs what the inevitable was. This team wasn't right. Super Bowl ready. While I get that winning, you know, quieted for that week, you got to do it for the next seven weeks. <laughs> you got to keep winning. You got to win. You got to win. You got to win because that's what Russ wants to do. He has that's what they all want to do. True, Russ has gone out. And spoke on it more than others. He's saying, "Yo, we need to get these pieces. I want, we want to. I want to be better in this situation. I want to win a Super Bowl. I don't want to be watching the Super Bowl. Those things all come into consideration. And the situation they're in right now, where they are coming into the game against the Rams, they were five and eight. They needed some way, somehow, to win this game just to have that sliver of hope that you talked about these past few weeks about they believe." You talked to, I think it was D, DT Daryl Taylor, and he was like, "Oh, we got a shot. You know, we we play our we play, if we play our game, we got a shot to beat anybody in the league." While you and I and others realize that's not the case. Well, that's he's, confident. He, he said, "If we play our best ball, nobody can beat us." And you know, well, sure, but it's like if everyone played their best ball, they wouldn't lose. You know, so like while I understood what he was saying, it was just like he wasn't wrong. And, you know, yeah, but. but as you pointed out today, they're going to play their best ball. That's the thing. Yeah, That's but as problem. you pointed out like, today, 
these guys are now realizing it don't really matter no more. That is over. Right now we're playing for the guy next to us. We're playing for Coach Pete. We're playing for our families. We're playing because we love the game and whatever other reasons they're out there doing it, sacrificing their bodies. Getting paid for sure. Need them game checks for sure. That's definitely why they out there. So now the conversation is let's just see what we can do. Really, that's what it's down to. That, yeah, that's another thing. You want to go into the offseason 100% healthy. Unfortunately, Jamal Adams, he's banged up. Don't know when he'll be back next season, but those are things that this offseason we're going to be hitting on because that's going to be interesting to see, especially with the future of Russ, Schneider. Pete, what happens there? There's a lot of Twitter questions regarding that, but it's been just a disappointing season. It really has been. There were some lows and highs from the game on Sunday, or wow, Sunday, Tuesday against the Los that's Angeles right. Rams. Like Tuesday night football. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> for the first time ever for us, that is. For the Seahawks, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Tuesday game. <laughs> but that it, it it's. It's almost fitting. You know the little quote where, you know, you have to go through the storm to get to the the rainbow or see the sunny skies. That's where the Seahawks are at. They're in this storm right now. Before the dawn. That's the one that works the best. Yeah, they're in the they're in this dark area and they're just trying to find the light. And you have to go through a storm to see the light, unfortunately. And now the storm has hit. You've mentioned Russ is gonna get hurt one of these games. It's only a matter of time. Dude's been invincible for ten years. And it finally happened. No one wanted him to get hurt, but the game he plays and how he plays it and protection-wise, how many times he's been sacked, it's like <laughs> Russ might go down. And if he goes down, is Gino going to be able to lead this team to a couple of victories? Is this team going to stay afloat? These were all things that were talked about during this past offseason. We had discussions about it. Oh, how do you feel about the backup quarterback? Mike, you have said, the backup quarterback is probably the most pos- important position on the team. And they had, He's you know, one Smith. play away from being the most important for sure. And boom, what happened? One yeah. play. One, one play, play changed it all. You get one win out of the three. You're already behind in the division. There is a lot at stake. It just became a snowball effect and things just fell apart. And now you're sitting here, damn, these boys is really five and nine. And they're not going to finish over 500. Uh, no, it'll be the first losing season um, since drafting Russ. I will say this before we get into Twitter questions, that the game itself, like you said, it's, it's fitting in some ways why they, they, they lost because it, it does expose a lot of the problems. Yeah. You know, that like they can run the ball effectively here and there, but it took them until week 14 to basically be able to run the ball. Right. And that's that's just not good enough. Like, I think I actually ran it pretty effectively today. I don't have the numbers in front of me, although I should because I was there. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, Penny 11 for 39. Yeah, that's, that's fine. It's not great. Uh, eight for 41 for DJ with a touch. That's actually that's that's fine. It's a fine day um, together. That's an that's a decent day together. So right there, right? Is that what that is? Hey, no, man, you're I, asking the wrong person with math, man. <laughs> that was a yeah, bad that guess. That's 19 for 80, uh, okay. which is which is fun. That's a, that's a, like I said, an effective day. But they don't really kill anybody with the run. Like, they killed Houston with the run. Oh, they so don't goddamn really, Texans. Like, <laughs> yeah, you really don't really watch many games outside of, like, the second half against Pittsburgh where they're like, man, the Seahawks are gashing this team. So you got one of those problems. You know, th- this game showed that. Um, you have 
you know, a lack of explosive plays down the field. That was a oh. problem all year. That was a problem at the end of last year. That and you problem here as well. There Russ was long it was what an accidental catch by Gerald Everett that he was trying to throw to DK. Yeah. You know? But D, you know what? D D Eskridge had two opportunities. Well, one big opportunity for a deep play, and that's a catch that, unfortunately, if Tyler Lockett is playing, I'm confident that he's able to make that catch. D was right there. Although I haven't seen Tyler Lockett really jump up for passes like that. He usually is really good at just letting them fall to him. But those situations where D has to make that catch. He had two big drops in that game. That that goes to another part that's like, uh, it's it's not just the game. The game just shows a symptom of the bigger problem. You have a yeah, second round pick, one of your one of your big draft picks, your top draft pick, in a game where he has to show up, right? And whether for his whether it's his fault or Russ's fault or play calling's fault, whatever, you can't maximize your highest pick in the draft. He had zero catches in a game that Tyler Lockett didn't play it. Mm. With your season on the line, it's another issue. But that's a personnel drafting type of you. It's a that's a drafting issue versus um a scheme issue i watched i watched tape of um, the cardinals rams game you know pre-game when i was just studying and i was like why don't the seahawks use the ds like the cardinals use this rondell moore kid that's what that was my, <laughs> we you talked know, about uh, that after the, yeah yeah we've talked about that before but it's just like that's another thing that this game showcased that they couldn't even get the ball to a guy that they used their top draft pick on um they were bad on third down again they were two of ten before the final, like the final, final driving rush through the pick. That's twenty percent. The Rams were six of twelve. Awful. Fifty percent. That's the difference in the game right there. Their run, def- their defense can bend and bend and bend, but eventually it will break. Eventually they will allow points. And I don't even fault them for giving up seventeen points while the game was within reach, but they can't get bailed out by the offense. That's been the story all year. Um, that was the story. You know, in the second half of last season, they just played some bad uh, teams. So they were able to win. But there were so many things that happened in this particular game that just been happening all year. That's why it was just like the game. It's like that's why I don't get too mad about the fourth down. No call on DJ Dallas. Um, that was that was that was definitely P.I. Obviously yeah. P.I. No one disagreed. The Rams know that was P.I. Like it's not even what the pro- the the fact that your season came down to a fourth and six. He to your backup <laughs> running back is the pro- that's. How'd you get there? How'd you get to the point where you're on fourth and six? Oh, they decided to run a draw. <laughs> I actually like, I like, I might be in the minority here. I actually like the decision to run on third and six. Um, maybe not the inside handoff against that particular look. I have to watch it again, but I do like the idea that if you know you're going to go for it on it's third and six, maybe you can pick up half of it and then fourth and three. I actually don't, I don't mind the, the thinking um, on that. Uh, maybe not that particular run, but who, I do like, I don't, I don't mind running it. Um, but just how do you even get to the point where you're like, if DJ Dallas catches this ball, our season is alive. You don't ever want to be in that spot. And that's no disrespect to DJ Dallas, but that's just the reality of the situation. Like, you shouldn't even be in that position. And that's what we, that's what when people say the margin of error is, is non-existent, the margin of error was gone when Russ's finger bent the wrong way. Right? And what does that look like? That means, when there's a, that means when there's a batted ball at the line, you need your fat dudes to catch it. Right? That when, when there's a fumble, you need it to bounce towards your guys. That means when there's a controversial call, you need to go your way. Like you need all of that to happen for like ten weeks in a row. You pointed out two ball. examples that happened in Sunday and Tuesday's game. Puna almost had an interception off the OBJ drop. Yep. And then the penalty you just mentioned that they didn't get lucky on. 
You need all those type of things to go your way every week and stay healthy and not That's get COVID. a lot to ask for. That's you a lot. Can't, you can't do that. Other teams can afford those luxuries, but Seahawks cannot. So, like, while there were certain things in this game that are probably frustrating or that were that were great for some, Jordan Brooks played great. Carlos Dunlap played great. Um, I thought the offensive line blocked really well against a really good front. You know, Aaron Donald got his because Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald, right? That's just, that's just that's how shit go. Uh, but f- there was a lot of things that were positive, but ultimately the things that killed them were the things that have been killing them for a while. Now, penalties in particular haven't been killing them. You know, stuff like the Alton Robinson penalty running into the kicker, um, bless off holding, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the some of the some of the other penalties in there, all the holding calls that Damian Lewis kept getting on Aaron Donald. Um, yeah, like penalties haven't been killing them, but it's 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 some of the like why is Bless in the game, right? Because you did a poor investment in cornerback play. You're starting Bless in the biggest game of the goddamn year. You know, it's like it's, it's stuff like that. Now, part of the DJ Reed got COVID, but. Um, that's a that's another resource allocation issue. Like everything just comes back to stuff that predates this game. A lot of yeah. the only thing unique to this game in particular, I think, what was bad in this game? I mean, even Russ being off on the deep ball, that ain't new. That was, yeah. He's been off on that since he came back. You know, or he's been hitting some of them. He's erratic. He's not consistently hitting the deep ones. Like now he hit one and then overthrow one and then hit one and then underthrow one. So that's that predates this game too. all the things that just happened in this game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're symptoms of a larger issue. And that's why... Uh, we, I, I want to spend a lot more time on the Twitter questions today just because I think they, they're, they're a little bit more forward thinking and we can address some of the stuff from the game too. But like Pete, there's a reason Pete wasn't pissed about the no call on the PI. He saw a replay. He was like, yeah, I mean, should have called it, but also it was like our season shouldn't have came down to freaking fourth and six, yeah. you know, throwing that ball in that situation. So there was so much, like I said, all the stuff that happened today that killed them predates this game third downs, um, not being able to kill a team with the run game, Russ being off, you know, Russ taking really bad – Russ took a bad sack. It was like 11 yards or something like that. Yeah. How are you supposed to overcome that? No reliable pass catchers besides number 14 and number 81, you know. Um, so many problems that are just a product of either drafting or resource allocations or trades or money spent or, or scheme stuff, you know. No – the Rams got one dude they throw it to a million times. They scheme his ass open every drive. <laughs> Meanwhile, DK's all his is jump balls against the other team's best player. Let's make it you know, make sense. 
Right. It's just so many things that predate this, this this game. I use predate like a million times in this episode. I never even said that word on the show before, but I think it fits. <laughs> I think well, it you fits. Know what so it, fits. It, it, it all outweighed all the good things that happened um, in the game. Maybe there's some of the Twitter questions. We'll talk about some of the good things that happened. But yeah, the, all the all the bad, none of the bad was new. It was the same old bad stuff that got them to five and eight before, before this game. Dang, I hope we don't have to do this anymore. Hopefully we don't have to talk how bad things have gotten and it's just a pile of a snowball effect. Maybe they can win out. And then they'll, they'll it'll be positive because they're winning. Huh? It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if they beat the Bears. They should beat the better than the Bears. They're better than the Bears. Uh, they're better than the Lions. They're not better be than the Cardinals. Cardinals. But I mean, any given Sunday, they're not getting blown out in these games. So yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they they finish what would that be eight and nine yeah wouldn't 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 surprise me wouldn't change anything but wouldn't surprise me well let's get to it twitter questions got quite a few we want to thank everybody out there for taking the time to ask us questions i'll kick this off with that game showed why pete's a great coach and should have beaten the rams if not for the officiating how can you actually justify moving on from a coach who gets a team to play like this against the odds you don't replace a leader of that value for an offensive coordinator, surely. You know, and I think there'd be something to that. And I think that the people keep forgetting this. And I don't know how. We talk about it all the time. Like, they made the comparison to, like, uh, the Saints, right? Sean Payton and, and uh, Drew Brees they had a long time together. Only won one Super Bowl. Um, they had a few seven and nine seasons together. It's losing seasons. You know, they didn't blow the whole thing up. They kind of weathered the storm. That's fine. Sean doesn't do the drafting there. Pete controls the personnel. So when they're falling short and he has all the power here, that's different. That makes the situation different than something like Pittsburgh with Tomlin and Big Ben there for so long or Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers together for a long time. When the coach is also responsible for the drafting and the drafting has been bad on top of an inconsistent on-field product, I think that's how you can justify making a change. It's not. I think there's a very fair argument that Pete Carroll is actually a fine coach. Like if he wasn't in charge of the the personnel, he's probably like his defenses. They they they. It's really rare for a defense to just flip a switch in the season, and Pete Carroll's defenses have done that a few times now. Um, now is he the issue that why they're bad in the first place? Perhaps, um, but yeah. they figure it out. Um, and even his his offensive philosophy, you can win that way. You can win with hey, let's let's run the ball, play good defense. If you draft run blockers and good defenders, right? It all goes back to the control that he has. So while that question is very fair to say, Mike, Chris, how can you justify getting rid of the, the coach when he actually gets his guys to play hard as hell for him night, week in and week out? And I was like, that's that's fine. If he didn't also control the roster, the roster lacks talent. Well, and it has up front in particular for quite some time now. And it has this year, too. They're still a bad run-blocking team. They're a bad pass-protecting team. Okay, well, whose job is it to get pass protectors? Whose job is it to hire the O-line coach to teach these guys how to pass block? All right, then. So I think those things are how you can justify. And you can also justify it that if your quarterback is like, it's either me or him, you pick a quarterback. Well, that, you know, there's also that. Drew Brees and Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin and, um, and Big Ben, they never had that issue. You know, they never had... Big Ben go on there and be like, go on, you know, first take on the ESPN and be like, it's either me or Mike Tomlin. You know what they would have done? They would have picked Big Ben. You know, and the same thing if Drew Brees would have went to the Loomis family or whoever owns the Saints and be like, hey, it's either me or this guy, Sean Payton. They would have shipped Sean Payton 
to the Cowboys or something like that. You know, and, and what happened when the, the Packers and Rodgers had the beef? Who'd they choose? The quarterback. Rodgers. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, exactly. And look how that's so paying think, off. And Yeah, it worked out really well. And they basically swapped out McCarthy for an offensive coordinator in Matt LaFleur, right? Who's like the winningest coach since he's been hired. So um, I think it's a fair point to make that Pete Carroll has good qualities. Of course he does. But when you're when you're in control of as many things as he's control of, is that he's in control of, and you're failing in so many spots, who else can you change, you know? But your quarterback, and I don't. We've talked ad nauseum about how I think that's a bad idea. Which offensive-minded offensive coordinator would you hire to replace Pete Carroll? Yeah, you know. Okay, so I say all that to say that I don't necessarily think that you need an offensive-minded coach to coach Russ. That would be nice, but I don't think you need it. Like, for example, right, I think um, the Chargers are fine, right? They have a defensive-minded head coach, just a defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley. Their offense is fine. He has the right idea about, you know, um, how to use his quarterback. Um, He has the right idea about how to be aggressive on certain plays, just how kind of offense should work. That's fine. I don't think they need to hire a new OC or a new a new offensive coach uh, to replace Brandon Staley or something like that. He's a defensive minded coach and he's doing a fine job, I think. Um, so I just think you need someone who the, the issue is the construction of the roster. If you're going to be a run first team and that's how you want to, you know, butter your bread or whatever, then draft and, and acquire linemen like the Browns have been doing. Go get you a Wyatt Teller. Go get you a. Um, I forget all their linemen's name, but they have some really good linemen. You know, or like the Chiefs have done, the Chiefs rebuilt their O-line. The Cowboys had a really nasty O-line, and they still have a good run-blocking O-line. I just think you, and then they drafted guys like Diggs and Micah Parsons, Trevon Diggs, that is. Like, I think that Pete's way of wanting to win is fine. You just have to construct it. So I don't think you need an offensive-minded guy. Uh, but if I had to throw one out there, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Chiefs, dude. Eric Bieniemy, you know, I would selfishly like to, you know, black head coach. I think that's cool. Black head coach who's earned it too. It's not just hiring him because he's black. Um, I think that that would be pretty dope. Um, I wouldn't, you know, Byron Leftwich as well. Um, Kellen Moore. I mean, the names out there aren't, you know, secrets. These are all the same names that everyone floats out. I'm not a big fan of the Doug Peterson one, um, former Philly coach. But I do think while i would be cool with those guys you know if i read a little bit more about them before the hires i really just don't think you need an offensive minded coach i just think you need a good coach who understands how to use how, uh, how offense works and you know has a philosophy and has a gm paired with him that can get him the guys to make that philosophy work would you replace pete carroll with dan quinn right now if you had the chance dan quinn no. What? I mean, I guess I did just say you don't need a defensive-minded head coach, but no, I don't think that. Or you don't need an offensive-minded head coach, but no, no, no. What's Dan doing right now? He's the – where is he at? He's the uh, – He's the cord- B coordinator for the Cowboys, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh, he is, yeah. And uh, Well, okay. I guess the, the premise of that question makes a little bit more sense now. Um, I just – I really don't think just replacing Pete does it because I'm not really – I don't have a good answer for whose fault some of these bad draft picks are. Like just the other day, I looked at the 2013 draft class. Here, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this on the air because I don't know if people will visit this draft class enough. Seahawks draftees. There you go. Saved in my browser. 
Look at the 2013 Seahawks draft class. Let me just read the. It doesn't matter what round. I'm just going to read the order of the picks. Running back Kristen Michael. Eesh. Defensive defensive tackle Jordan Hill. How's Receiver he doing? Receiver Chris Harper. Hmm. Uh, defensive tackle Jesse Williams. Um, defensive back Therold Simon. Tight end Luke Wilson. Running back Spencer Ware. Offensive guard Ryan Seymour. Defensive end Ty Powell. Defensive tackle Jared Smith. Offensive tackle Michael Bowley. Who the hell are these guys? All in person None I know on there is Simon and Luke Wilson. It, yeah, and, uh, Christian Michael was. Um, he was solid. True. Three guys. I, mean, I, I just I know who he is. Um, but none, none of those guys were good. Excuse me. None of those guys. Who I need to find out whose fault was that draft. He should be fired. Whether that's Peter Johns. And if y'all were equally part of that, get rid of both of y'all. Both y'all. <laughs> that was bad. Let's look at. Let's look at another draft. Let's look at the 2017 draft. I think this is a very important one as well. Because there was a lot of talent in that draft. You go back and look at the whole league. So a lot of like future studs, pro bowlers, all pros in every round um, of that draft. They kick off with Malik McDowell. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to just read them in order. Uh, It doesn't matter what round. But this is the order of the picks. Defensive tackle Malik McDowell. Center Ethan Posick. Cornerback Shaquille Griffin. Safety Lano Hill. Nazir Jones, defensive tackle. Receiver, Amara Darbo. Safety, Tedrick Thompson. Defensive back, Mike Tyson. Offensive tackle, Justin Sr. Receiver, David Moore. Running back, Chris Carson. Who's responsible for that draft? You're fired. That that is the problem. Meanwhile, there's still like three dudes from the 2011 Seahawks draft still in the league. Sherm's still (laughs) playing. KJ's still playing. Malcolm Smith still playing. Hell, James Carpenter. Oh, I got four fingers up. James Carpenter, I think, plays for the Saints now. He was their first pick in that class. Like, how has that class still got dudes active? And meanwhile, you get a class like 2017 that's a bunch of scrubs that are, ain't even in the league. And then the 2013 class where literally none of them play football anymore. Like, I don't even remember the question that made me think of that. I just, it's, what was the question that made me think of that? Well, let me scroll back down as I continued looking through the question was pointing out oh it was the, the would question. you replace yeah. yeah 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 the reason i brought that up is because i just don't think you swapping out the coach matters you need to swap out who's in charge of this personnel they are drafting poorly so hold on one more thing um i'm gonna just use a comparison um i'm gonna use the ram so remember i just read the the seahawks 2017 draft right. yep i'm gonna read the rams 2017 draft. Same freaking vision. Let me see. Wi-Fi is messing with me. All right. So I'm going to read their whole draft. Uh, Gerald Everett, tight end. Receiver, Cooper Cup. Safety, John Johnson. Receiver, Josh Reynolds. Uh, linebacker, Samson Ibukam. Defensive tackle, Tenzel Smart. Fullback, Sam Rogers. Defensive end, Ewan Price. So is that a fantastic class? No. But their first three picks were Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup, and John Johnson, right? Like dudes who can ball. And that's the so look at so look by comparison. Therefore, the Seahawks' first three picks in that same draft were Malik McDowell, Ethan Posick, and Shaq. Whereas their first three picks were John Johnson, like a stud safety, Cooper Cup, who's the freaking best receiver in football this year, and then Gerald Everett, right? Who was balling. Um, so like I think. It's not about just swap out Pete, get a new coach. It's like, who's in charge of picking the dudes? 
The dudes need to be better. All right, next question. All right. Why do you think Russell Wilson goes out of his way not to run anymore? These are the fewest rushing attempts per game in his entire career. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like I don't like Russ doing that. I, I think he needs to, his legs need to be involved more. I think Russ needs to run more. I think Russ needs to because he protects himself so well. If he was reckless with it, then I would say be careful. Like Cam Newton just does not care. And Cam just throws his body around because he's built like a linebacker and he treats it like that. Or he's built like a tight end, honestly. And he treats his body like that. And he had to stop. Right? Like, I understand. You know, he survived. He, he got in that really bad car crash and was like, I'm good. You know, because that's what happens when you call yourself Superman. Russ knows to protect himself. You know, Kyler Murray does a good job of this, too. Um, I just think he needs to run more. I think that um, I, ca I can't get in Russ's head and explain why. But I do think the premise of this question is very valid. I think that he needs to be involved in the run game, like by design too, but specifically in the red zone and short yardage, like third and three, they should be killing with Russell Wilson. They should be able to zone read the hell out of teams. And Russ is, Russ does never, he never keeps it. He hasn't kept a run. I want to say since he kept one in week one of the 2020 season at Atlanta and went for like 28 yards or something like that. And I just don't see it anymore. It's a, uh, I, Russ will never tell us, and that's something I probably need to investigate. Although I don't, it's not high on my list of things to investigate. I'm not gonna lie, but I, I, I would say probably protecting his body is one. Like a guy who's frustrated getting hit is not gonna like voluntarily run more. What happens when you run more? You get hit, right? But you also make plays and win, which is also what he wants to do. I just think he's doing that calculus in his head, and it's like, look, they pay running backs for all that running. You know, they pay me to throw. It's like, well, that's fine. But when you're off, I, I just I wish Russ ran more when the offense needed a spark, you know, scramble. And he still scrambles a decent amount. Um, I don't have his scramble numbers in front of me. I could pull them up maybe while you read the next question. But I, I, I just I don't have a good answer for this one. And I do think that's something that if you're going to try to run it back with all the major players in this equation, you got to factor in Russ being part of the run game. You just do. Even if it's just short yardage because he can run and he can make plays. Um, and he will outrun the, the occasional linebacker, even if he's not the guy from 2012, 2013, you know, breaking these big ones. His legs can still matter. I thought they really would matter in this particular game against the Rams, and they were just kind of non-existent. If you are Pete Carroll, how do you convince Russ to give it another shot, and how do you make a good, legitimate Super Bowl shot? Well, this is really interesting because, you know, I've been wondering and trying to research this, and you'll see what I've able to come up with i don't want to say too much on the show but you know russ has kind of made it very clear what his stance is you know publicly i'm frustrated getting hit i'm trying to win and you can tell like this is kind of a last straw season for him and i and i and i, and I don't necessarily know if that's the case for pete carroll like for all we know pete loves russ you know it's like i'll run it back with you russ let's do it you know and so I do think that he might be in a position where he has to try to convince him, but I don't think there can be any convincing. I think the sample size is too large with too many misses in these draft classes, too many. Um, and they've done some things that Russ has wanted, you know, Jimmy Graham stuff, tight end, you know, Greg Olson. Apparently they'll just get him tight ends, that that's it. Um, they won't get him an AB or uh, some of the, you know, Odell or something like that. So, uh, and then O lineman, he's one of the line O lineman. He's one of the input there. I think you, if you're gonna make the pitch, if you're Pete, that's what you have to do. You have to promise him some power. You're gonna get and to help construct the roster, and I don't know how 
great of an idea that is but if it's but if that's what you got to do to you know keep rust then sure and also how much worse could it get you know you already was giving money to guys like luke jokel and stuff like that you know when it was just y'all maybe russ's input you know uh will, will change things a little bit but i think that's the only pitch you got because it just seems like russ is fed up in a scenario where russ is traded this offseason who was the best quarterback the Seahawks could get back as part of the deal could it be Minshew? um i think it probably i mean justin fields would be the one right isn't that that would that would be the i mean is he who's better Tua, jalen hurts or justin fields who would you say is the best i'd probably say hurts ah see i don't think hurts is mm, long term i I would take fields but right now i I like hurts if that makes sense right now Tua might be better than all of them to be to be honest um make sure i got my mic right um probably fields i mean if you call the bears right now and you say hey we'll give you russ now give us you know two firsts and, and fields um you know what are the what are the bears saying probably i don't know did the bears hang up i don't know what the bears say now if you're the you know you call the dolphins and say hey give us two firsts and two and you you can have russ um who's the other one? Oh, the eagles the eagles have a bunch of firsts if you say give us two, two. firsts yeah, I think they have two like top twelve first or something like that. I think the uh, seventh and a. It depends. I think they have Miami's pick, maybe uh, something like that. So maybe you call them and they give us two firsts and Jalen. I think of all those, I want Fields. I I like Fields, man. He actually reminds me a little bit of Russ. Um, yeah, that's that, that would be the best. I think all of these guys. I mean, Minshew is currently better than all of these guys for what that's worth. Um, but I think if you're gonna get a trade. You would want uh I, I my my vote would be fields is russ's infatuation with the moon ball over sustaining drives a qb failure or philosophical choice that's coached um yeah i mean he does um, and i think that's just kind of how he reads you know um that's kind of just how he reads plays starts high then works his way down and I think that's fine. Because, like, if he hits some of those moon balls today, people ain't complaining. At it. You know, I have to go back and watch. But I think, like, today in particular, I don't think that he passed up anything underneath to take the deep shot. Now, he does do that sometimes, but he's such a good deep ball thrower. And he has such good deep ball catchers that I just kind of believe in his thought process there. But I do think he did. I don't think it's – um. What was the question there? Is it just Russ or is it the, is it the scheme? I, I don't think it's a scheme thing at this point. I don't think you blow through this many coordinators and none of them are like, hey, bro, you ever thought about throwing in the middle? You know, it's like, no, <laughs> man, of course they've of course they've tried that, right? It's just it, your offense is only going to look like what your quarterback wants to look like, pretty much. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How many times this season has Rush thrown a non-play action pass from under center? I'm pretty sure it's less than five, but then again, the way Seattle has played this season, I've been a few beers too deep to count live. Thanks for all you do. I hope you get to relax and have a beer or two or ten after this game. I like that this person submitted this question before they knew that SoFi Stadium had beer, which is what I'm drinking right now. Kind of nasty ass, but like, um, but it was free. Uh, this is a fascinating question that I won't spend a ton of time on, but I do have the answer to it. Um, so they're asking about under center plays that aren't play action. Um, it, and that's a good question because basically Seattle's only going to run two plays uh, when they go under center. They're going to play action or hand it off. And I do think they need to be able to diversify their their uh, passing concepts out of that. But the answer is they've only run four plays all with, at least with Russ. I don't know the Geno count, but so four times they've gone under center and not run play action. I think one of them most recently is the uh, missed slant that Russ had to DK against Houston. Do it behind him. Uh, I do think that is a problem if they're going to go under center so much. They do need to be able to diversify what they can run out of that particular look, you know, with, with different personnel. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a fascinating question. Shout out to who who asked that and who's a bunch of beers deep. Uh, that that was an interesting one. Yeah, only four times this year by my count. Big picture. Russ's Hall of Fame chances in jeopardy. Looking like maybe he's not going to get that second Super Bowl. And barring a bunch of statistical seasons in the next few years, his stat profile is going to be a bit flimsy in terms of counting stats. Uh, no, I don't think it'd be flimsy at all. I think it'd be fine. I mean, he's made i think he's been voted to eight pro bowls i think it says seven on his football reference page which is where we get a lot of that stuff from but i believe russ made the 2014 pro bowl and couldn't play he made it as an alternate which technically means you made it right um because a lot of guys i think were hurt or just decided to play and then he couldn't play in it because of the super bowl that's when they lost to the Patriots. So I think he's, quote-unquote, made eight Pro Bowls. And maybe it'll only go down to seven. I don't know the number. But I think he'll make another one in the future. So you're looking at a guy who might make, like, eight or nine Pro Bowls. You know, uh, maybe he never wins MVP. But that's a pretty good, you know, career. Shoot, how many did Drew Brees make? He never made one MVP. And he played till he was, what, his, his arm was shot. So I think that Russ is going to have, like, a Drew Brees-ish career. He's only 33. He probably plays at a pretty high level for the next few years. Get some counting stats, especially with the 17 games. Throws a lot of touchdowns. I do think this is an outlier season because he got hurt on his throwing hand. But yeah, I think I think his Hall of Fame shot. He just has to play a lot longer. Like Bobby, I think, can stop today. And he's in. Bobby's going to make yep. eight straight Pro Bowls, like six first-team All-Pros. Bobby's in if he stops, if he retires to the season. Russ, no. Russ needs to keep playing. But I think he'll play a lot longer than Bobby. Well, building around this team, would you do it defensively or offensively after the season? And if trading Russ, do the Seahawks let go of DK and Lockett? And are they paying another safety big money? Damn, that's a lot of questions. Well, yeah, there was more, uh, but I was like, <laughs> we're going to answer those ones. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Drew Brees made 13 Pro Bowls. Good Lord. I didn't realize he made, he made that many. Um, let's see. What was, the first pers- what was the first one on that? 
are you building around the team defensively or offensively? And then, oh, I always go offense. I'm going up because you need a quarterback. Your thing is quarterback. It's just so hard to sustain building around defense. You need need so many guys to be healthy, um, and it's just hard to scheme good defense. You need good players. Whereas I can, you give me a bunch of dudes, I can probably, it's if I got an old line, I can scheme up, you know, some, something that looks like an effective offense. Um, at this particular team, I'm, I'm building around Russ still. Um, I get I get him the old line he needs, you know, I build, I build around him. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trading Russ if I don't have to. If I have to, though, I would actually rather keep Tyler and I don't want to tear down all the way. Like, for example, you say, give me two firsts. And uh, let's say Jalen Hurts. Give me two first. I get Jalen Hurts. I want Jalen to throw to DK and Tyler. And then I want to draft linemen with those picks that I'm getting. And then we just go from there. You know, I, I think that would be the, the way to go. Same thing if they were to get Tua or Fields or even Minshew, like in the, the other question. I think that you need those two stars. That's, man, that's still one of the best receiving duos in the league, I think. And they're just not being maximized for whatever reason. Uh, but I think you, I, I don't. I think if you're going to get rid of your quarterback and get a young guy, you want to surround the young guy with as many weapons as possible. And that means keeping DK and Tyler. Would you consider trading DK this offseason? Reasons for not to pay him, especially if you get Russ out as well. Yeah. I, so to go back to that one, I'm not, I can't trade, I can't trade Russ and DK. I don't want to do that because the money I'm saving on trading Russ, I want to use it to build a roster that includes keeping DK. Um, now the fascinating thing about the DK thing, I wouldn't trade him now, but I do think we are nearing a point where receivers are to some extent becoming very similar to running backs in that if you feel like you can get a guy in the first or second round instead of paying your current guy 22 23 million dollars a year or whatever that might be the move you know you look at a situation like minnesota minnesota said hey look here stefan Diggs don't want to be here buffalo's gonna pay him buy stefan well then they just got justin jefferson who in terms of value is a way better value you know in the first round they didn't even need to be have a, a high first round pick. Justin was like pick 25 or something like that. So they got like a, a pick in the 20s or whatever. Uh, took Justin Jefferson and got a guy just as good as Stephon Diggs for a fraction of the cost. Now, that's just one example. But I do think we can see more of those with how like good these guys are when they come right in the league, whether it's like a, you know, versus like if I'm paying a Rashad Bateman, you know, 1.1 million. And would I rather do that or pay an Amari Cooper $20 million a year? Is Amari better than Rashad Bateman in Baltimore? Of course. But look at the, the cost, you know? Would I rather have... Who's another expensive receiver? Who's an expensive one? I'm trying to think. Um, maybe Mike Evans make a lot of money. I don't know. I think Amari Cooper is another good example. Would I rather have Amari Cooper at $20 million a year or Stephon Diggs or whatever he's making? Or would I rather just have Elijah Moore on the Jets making like 900 bands? You know this year who's not as good but i can use the money you know what i mean it's very yeah. similar to the running back thing do i want to pay christian mccaffrey 16 million dollars a year or just give or just draft the next kid out of ohio state you know and pay him one million dollars and he'd be damn near just as good you know um so relative to the cost so i think that receivers are getting there 
they are and as the salaries go up that is something to consider where you want to be a team that like if you're the seahawks do i want dk for 22 million dollars a year for the next four years or whatever or do i want the next hot shot out of bama that jameson williams kid whatever you know whoever the next kid out of bama or lsu ohio state is drake london from usc but i'd rather have that guy on his rookie deal and he's not as good as dk or dk at 22 million who's a stud so i, I do think we're going to get to that that's a uh, an interesting discussion i still lean towards keeping some of the veterans depending on your situation like if you're a win now team or whatever um but i don't think it's out of the out of the question to start considering that receivers are kind of in that space too where they're getting real expensive and the guys coming in are good right away that's the thing they're good right away would it make any sense to go into a rebuild of the last of at least one to two seasons to rebuild offensive line, but keep Russ or even Russ and Pete during that rebuild? I don't think there's a world where you keep Pete and give him personnel control and rebuild with Russ. I don't think Russ trusts him to do that rebuild. And I don't think that would, that would go well. Um, I do think rebuilding is fine. I just think that you have to be able to draft linemen. Like, honestly, if they get a new GM, I don't care who the new GM is. It got to be somebody who knows linemen. Scout, offensive line. The Packers really are good at that. Um, they've scouted linemen really well. If you can draft offensive linemen, you can get, like, good offensive linemen in, in rounds one, two, and three. That's how you can have an, a good offense. As your number two receiver is Alan Lazard. Yeah, Robert Tunyon catching 10 touchdowns. And, Marquez Valdez scaling. These are not household names, but they have a great O line that can run block for Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, or whoever else, Jamal Williams. And then they got the stud, obviously, in Devontae Adams, but even he was a second round pick. So I think that you can rebuild, but you can't rebuild with Pete having the personnel control and keeping Russ. Just because I personally don't think Russ trusts Pete to to execute that rebuild properly. You mentioned good you mentioned GMs. Who are some good GM candidates? Oh, you would pull that question right after I said the thing about. <laughs> it was a perfect setup, bro. As soon as you said GMs, I was like, I got them. Ah, damn. That is a good one. So I'd, I'd have to give this one some more thought and really research them. But I, you know what? One name that sticks out to me, though, is I don't know if this is like what people think uh, is a good idea, but like Lewis Riddick. Like, when I've been watching the. Um, the Monday night broadcast with the sound on because you know I hate some of these broadcasters <laughs> man he I mean he's been in front in personnel departments before and you know he I just think he knows the game really well now I think he knows his expertise is more like DBs and receivers and stuff um, but if he can if he knows the game and can find guys who know the game as well as him to scout you know to be his area scouts and wherever else our directors of pro, pro personnel blah 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 I wouldn't mind that I wouldn't mind Lewis, Lewis Riddick hire. He takes over. I, I guess I'm just going to make the whole whole Seahawks black as hell. I'm going to hire Eric Bieniemy, and then I'm going to hire Lewis Riddick. And we going to have a black GM and a black uh, head coach, black quarterback. Making history. Gonna get, I, I wonder if that's been done. That's had to have been done before. But Okay. I'm with that. And I'm then part that. two. I, I, think the, uh, I think the Dolphins have that right now. I think their GM is black. I think their coach is black and they're oh too a Hawaiian. Uh, that's a little different. A person of color. <laughs> oh yes, for sure. 
And then part two of this question is how long into the offseason or rest of this season before Pete is maybe fired? I mean, there's no reason to fire him. Even if Jody Allen wanted to fire him, there's no reason to do that. I mean, these games are so competitive. The guys are still playing so hard. He hasn't lost the locker room. Um, I mean, you could do it symbolically if you got blown out by the Lions in your final home game. But what does that do? You just fired him a week early. I don't, I don't do yeah. anything. Um, if he's going to go, it would be Black Monday, I think. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to go at that point. But I, I think there's no benefit to doing it now. You know, just so, you know, Ken Norton can have three weeks as the interim head coach. I just don't, I don't know if he's the, will be the interim, but you guys get my point. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of value in that. Honestly, if you're going to fire a coach, if, unless it's like an Urban Meyer situation where he's just a, a dumbass, um, then you really should fire him early in the season, like week two or three or whatever, or just wait until the season's over. Fire, like Ron Rivera got fired in like December 2nd or something like that. Why? Why fire him in December? <laughs> what does that do? It does nothing. Uh, you can't. It's not like you can start interviewing guys right away. Chances are the guys you want are going to make the playoffs. Mm. Now they just changed the rule where you can start interviewing guys. I think in the final two weeks or request to or whatever of the regular season. But no, I just don't think there's a lot of value in firing a guy before the end of the season. What do you think the odds of Pete Carroll staying? Percentage wise, where you're where you're putting it. Man, that's tough. This 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 number is going to change every day. So I refuse. I, I reserve the right to just. It is. It's Not so hard. Yeah. Um. Pete Carroll stand. Fifty percent, probably. You know. Um. Part of it. Part of it is. I'm not sure how willing Russ is to force the issue, because I do think that Russ is very image conscious. Not. I think. I know he's very image conscious, and. Um, I think that if you look at some players who've had to force their way out of situations, whether it's in the NFL, like Stephon Diggs, or it's in the NBA, like a James Harden, or give me another guy, Anthony Davis, um, you know, Melo getting forced out of uh, Denver. Um, when guys have won, they've had to, it's, it's been ugly. They've had to either not come to work or show up fat or, you know, just 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 kind of be a, a malcontent. Like even Jalen Ramsey, to get forced out of uh, Jacksonville, he had to stop coming to work. Stephon Diggs had to stop coming to work. Uh, so I think that I'm not sure how willing Russell is to make that step. That's why I think it's possible that Pete stays. Just because for Russ to really use the leverage he has, he's going to have to go out kicking and screaming. And that's going to be really bad for his image. Which path do you think has the greater chance of leading the Seahawks back to a Super Bowl and why? Option A, keep Russ fire Pete and hire an offensive head coach to build around Russ and his strengths. Option B, trade Russ for Hertz, two first-round picks. Peter John Snyder can rebuild the roster, free cap, and play Pete's philosophy again. Um, I think I'm going to go with the – one of the. I think option A, was it the one that keeps Russ? Yep. I just – when you have – the quarterback is the hardest part to figure out. And I think I'm kind of I, I think I'm with Russ on this one in that I don't trust these guys to be, rebuild either. Like, all right, give give John Snyder, Pete Carroll, hundred million dollars in cap space and a bunch of draft picks. Then what? <laughs> let's go back and look at some drafts. Yeah, when re let's read another draft. Let's do it. We got time. I'm gonna read the 2019 Seahawks oh, draft. Just two years ago. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a it's a doozy. It's a doozy. All right. 
2019 Seahawks draft. Remember, this is the year after they um, lost to Dallas in the playoffs. So here is the draft class. I'm going to just read them in order. LJ Collier, defensive end. Safety, Marquise Blair. Receiver, DK Metcalf. Linebacker, Cody Barton. Receiver, Gary Jennings. Offensive guard, Phil Haynes. Safety, Ugo Amadi. Linebacker, Ben Burkirvin. Running back, Travis Homer. Defensive tackle, Demarcus Christmas. Receiver, John Arsula. That is a bad draft class. Bad draft class. Come on, man. What are we doing here? You want me to give these guys cap space and draft picks so they can bring me back more, more of these guys that don't play, that don't start? No. It's not what I want. Give me the quarterback. I'm going to keep the quarterback. Build around that. Simple question. Got a lot of talent on the team, but clearly needs to change somewhere. So what's next? And how different do you think this team will look next season? All very different. I think they're in for some really heavy roster churn. I think they're going to have to look to get younger uh, in some spots um, and maybe veteran in some other ones. Um, I think their offensive line looks completely different. They have a lot of guys uh, not under contract through next year. Uh, let's see. Brandon Shell, contract year. Dwayne Brown, contract year. Ethan Posick, contract year. So I could see them having three new uh, starting offensive linemen. I could see their D-line doing some shuffling. Um, yeah, I think I think it actually could look very, very, very different. Was there a second part to that question? Oh, let me double check. No, you got it. Okay. And then in the secondary... I think, you know, Sidney Jones, contract year. DJ Reed, contract year. Quandre Diggs, contract year. You know, Bobby Wagner has a $20 million cap hit, I think, next season. You got you got some decisions to make, you know, in that in that back seven, even though you're bringing back Jamal Adams, you know, and probably bringing back Ryan Neal as well. I think he's an exclusive rights free agent. So, yeah, I, I actually expect it to look very, very different. And that's good, though. I think it doesn't need to look different. I think it does. I think this... Making a few tweaks here and there has run its course. They need to make some significant changes to the roster. All three phases of the Seahawks games this season has been so inconsistent. Is it coaching, players, or something else? And please do not say a bit of each. I mean, it can't just be one thing if every phase is inconsistent. I mean, but ultimately, yeah, that's a coaching thing. I do think that um, the defense has been as consistent as you're probably going to see a unit for a whole year with the talent that it has. So that much. Yeah, I, I will, I will say that like the defense is how many games, how many bad games does the Seahawks defense had this year? How many bad games? Two. I would say two or three. They were two. bad against Titans for sure. Derrick Henry ran all over them. Uh, <laughs> Up through around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it was bad. Uh, bad against the Vikings. And I would say bad against, I don't know how bad they were against the Rams in week five. They definitely, they certainly weren't good. But I don't know how, if they were bad, they were bad in those other performances. I can say that with confidence. But that's what, two and a half games maybe out of, what, 14? Like, I think the, the defense has been pretty con- consistent there. The offense has been bad. Offensive. And special teams has actually been pretty solid uh, as well. So I really just think it's it's an offensive thing. I don't even think the other phases should get roped in with those other groups. 
because I think the offense is clearly the the ugly stepchild or what is it the ugly middle child I don't know uh, whatever it is the offense doesn't fit now that the playoff hopes are dead what should I be watching for in the last three games um good question I mean it would really be nice to see you know some guys from the draft class some of these more recent draft classes get in the goddamn game you know whether it's I don't know see Ugo play some free safety I don't know it's weird because I think we talked about this before you can't you can only pull so many guys right because then you're like accepting losing so yep. I just think the young guys who get in there I just want to see something from them you know whether that's um Josh Johnson the running back getting in some or like I said Ugo Ugo somehow getting to play some free safety snaps although he he kind of whiffed on a deep ball today that was his fault uh did this what this whose fault this is that was on the broadcast yeah, they, they got it right. It was Ugo. Oh, okay. Got passed yeah. off to him and clearly wasn't ready. Yeah, he bit on the, the, the route coming over the middle. I think it was like Van Jefferson or something. Great concept. Uh, there yeah. it is. McVeigh winning. <laughs> uh, y'all, McVeigh is... McVeigh is better coach than Pete Carroll. Um, he keeps kicking his ass. So, yeah, I think it's, a, it's hard. I think you should look for, you know, find the guy and root for him. And there's a lot of guys on contract year. So if they're, if you want them to come back, you know, Will Disley is on a contract year. Gerald Everett on a contract year. Rasheem Green, Al Woods. They've got some like low key dude. Like I said, Sidney Jones, DJ Reed. There's a lot of guys whose contracts expire that they probably should look to bring back. Last one. Took a few weeks off to wallow in misery of lose of a losing season. Replay. Should it be expanded? Should PI be reviewable again? Should challenges be expanded to overturn? Football still fun, just not as much as this year. Keep killing it. I don't think all these replays eliminate the human element of officiating, which is really what it's at play here. Um, so, no, I don't want more reviews, man. I mean, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. I just really think your team shouldn't be in a position where, I mean, Penalties are always going to have an impact to the game. They're always going to happen in high leverage situations. But I just think that like that question in particular stemming from, you know, this, you know, a couple bad calls in this game and they were, but it's just like, you shouldn't be in a position where bless Austin is starting, you know, and you need him to help you get off the field on third and 12 or, you know, like I talked about the fourth down throw to DJ Dallas, you know, you shouldn't even be in that situation where you're throwing to that guy on that route, you know, and under throwing him in that way. So I think that the officiating was not good, but I don't think that should be much of the focus from this game. And I definitely don't want no more review calls, man. They also made it really hard to review a PI and win. I think Pete Carroll did it like once, you know, on like a play that he shouldn't have won, I think, against the Steelers in week two of 2019 or whatever it was. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of more replays well those are all the twitter questions we want to thank all of you out there for taking the time to hit us with twitter questions man we appreciate it i know mike loves it so it is always dope that you guys have questions and we can get them answered on the show oh yeah definitely my favorite part i mean i really i I gotta start opening the show or we gotta start opening the show showing love to the people who listen man because we can't do it without y'all, man. Without y'all, it's just me in this dimly lit hotel room and and, and Chris there. Whether he, sometimes he has a shirt on, we do the show. Sometimes he doesn't. You know, like 
it's, it's just us talking to it's me talking to shirtless chris sometimes if we don't got y'all listening and, and giving feedback and shouting us out and you know shout out to everybody who tweeted the little spotify uh into the gear thing that had us had us in there man like it really is y'all we doing this you know for y'all we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing this it would just it just saved the state on chris's computer you know as an audio file you know we like <laughs> interacting with y'all taking your questions you know um because you guys ask good ones you guys get me thinking about stuff sometimes i act you guys ask a question and i'll be like damn i should call somebody about that so i can get a good answer you know like the one today about russ not running the ball as much anymore i'll make some phone calls i'll see maybe something comes up maybe it doesn't but that's something i probably wouldn't have thought that everyone else is paying attention to we get a question about it on the pod you know it sparks something so i think that uh we appreciate you guys and we you know as a, a we're around the holiday time, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting all sentimental, but yeah, we really rock with you guys. And when we say appreciate the love, we do mean that because it is love and we love you guys back. So keep it coming, even though these next three games are probably gonna sting, but we'll find some stuff to talk about, you know, and we'll talk, we'll be talking about it together. And that's always been the most important part. Well, I can't follow up with that. On that note, we will catch you guys next Sunday. Look at that, we're back to somewhat of a normal schedule. Seahawks play the Bears on Sunday. We'll be back to you talking to you guys then after that post-game show. Anything else you want to add, Mike? Speak for yourself on a normal schedule thing, man. I got a, a 7 a.m. flight, you know, back to Seattle. I'm about to be tired. Normal schedule time. next Sunday, not tonight, not tomorrow. Next Sunday, you'll be back to somewhat normality. Normality. I like that. But, yes, you are You are correct. We're back to somewhat, <laughs> somewhat normal. You know, we kind of going back to 2020 with this COVID stuff, so – Get your shots, get your booster, stay safe, protect your loved ones during the holidays. Um, if you get sick, stay your ass in the house. Um, and we, that's it. We appreciate the love. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.